will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. There's and welcome to another very special episode of Tinfoil Hat. I'm here with Aaron and my good friend Ryan Davis. We're going to get right into the show. Real quick, guys, uh, I will be at the Syracuse Funny Bone next all next weekend. That is the at the end of the month. I believe it's the 25th through this uh, July 2nd. And, uh, guys, we're going to get in some more information towards the end. We just want to get in with our guests real quick. Joining us uh, live on Tim Foil Hat, he is now on his book tour for Freeway Ricky Ross, the untold biography. His website is FreewayRickyRoss.com. Please welcome to the show, Freeway Ricky Ross. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for tuning in. We gre- greatly appreciate it. What were you just getting into before the show? Uh I was out in uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, with a bunch of kids, probably about 50 kids uh, at football practice, and I was speaking to them about uh, gangs and, and drugs and, 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 and so forth. All right, excellent. Thanks for coming on the show. You are on a book tour right now. You are promoting your book, The Untold Biography, Ricky Ross, The Untold Biography. Uh, tell us a little bit about your book. Well, my book basically tells how any normal person, somebody who absolutely uh, don't have their mind on drugs, can become a drug kingpin. Oh, interesting. So this is a how-to in a weird way, a how-to become a drug pen, drug kingpin? Or, or a how not to. I respect that. I respect it, that. You know, you know when, you got, when you got good information... Uh, you can make uh, uh, logical decisions. When you don't have information, then you, you're basically guessing about what you're doing. Uh, where are your next couple stops on your tour? I'll be going to Cincinnati, Ohio tomorrow. What day? That uh, is the, this will be out today. So that is, what's tomorrow? The 20th, you'll be in Cincinnati, Ohio? Yes, and then I'll be going to Detroit, uh, Michigan, uh, in Flint, Michigan, uh, and then after that, I'm not sure where I'll be going. But I'm, I'm, I'm going over the whole country. I'll be doing the whole country over the next few months. And where are most of your stops at? Where are, they, where are you pr- promoting your book at? Where are they at? Bookstores? Where, where are they mostly at? No, mostly I go to barbershops, uh, restaurants, nightclubs, uh, libraries, uh, pretty much anywhere that, that they allow me to come and uh, uh, uh and sell my book. You know, I didn't get a publishing deal. Uh, uh, the publishers didn't think anybody wanted to know about my story. So you're doing it DIY, do it yourself, which is the way to do it now. I love the power of the internet. And you know, at the end of the day, you everything you sell, you keep yourself. And I think that's a better way to do. It. I do it with my CDs. <laughs> I do it with everything. So DIY, I love that. So Freeway Wiki Ross, your story is, I believe, more relevant now than it's ever been. 
and I kind of want to start from the beginning. Uh, you've been interviewed a bunch of times. Uh, tell us about how you came up with your nickname. Did you come up with it? Did somebody else come up with it? And where did it come from? For those who may not know who Freeway Ricky Ross is. Well, my nickname came because my mom stayed on the side of the freeway, and uh, we basically uh, did everything on the side of the freeway. Played football. We, we didn't have a football field to play on, so we played in the middle of the streets on the side of the freeway. And one day somebody started to call us the Freeway Boys, and uh, when I got into the drug business, that name started to take on a whole new uh, uh, meaning and identity. Excellent. So... So basically, you, uh, you, I've heard a couple of interviews you've done. You've talked about how at some point you realized you couldn't go pro in basketball or football and you wanted to make some money and make some what I like to call fuck you money, you know, some big cash. Um, so you decided to get into the crack game. Can you let our listeners know how you decided to get into the drug game? Well, it was, it was pretty much by accident. You know, one day I was sitting on my porch, uh, kind of down on my luck, wasn't going to be able to go to college because I couldn't read or write. And a friend of mine called me and said that uh, he had something for me. Uh, I went to his house, and uh, for the first time I ever saw cocaine, he laid out uh, a couple lines of white powder. So let me ask you something. Now, this friend isn't any just any friend. It, was it actually a teacher that turned you, into, uh, turned you on to the game? Uh, no, my teacher actually introduced me to uh, to my uh, to my major suppliers. Uh-huh. Uh, this guy was a football player at, at at a college. So you start with cocaine first, selling the coke first. Absolutely, yes. And then how did it go from coke? You start with one hundred twenty-five bucks, which is, in my opinion, the American dream. Starting with a hundred dollars, and then you go grow it from that. So how did it go from coke? To crack. Well, when when I first started, most of the people was was already turning into crack. Uh, they didn't call it crack. They called it they called it uh, rock cocaine, uh, freebasing. Yes. Uh, along the way, uh, we found out that most people couldn't cook it, and uh, we just started cooking it for them, and we called it ready rock. Ready rock. I love that. I love it. That now. How do you go from small-time drug dealer to epically huge drug dealer? Where where does that jump come from? Well, a couple things have to take place. Uh, first of all, you have to save your money very diligently, which I did. Uh, then you have to have a school teacher that's plugged with somebody that's connected to the CIA. Okay, <laughs> that that is good. And that is Oscar... Blandon, is that correct? Is that the guy that ends up being the supplier? Oscar, Oscar Danilo Blandon. Yes, correct. So he's the guy that takes you from kind of a small-time crack dealer to this guy who's, like, moving a ton. How do you meet Oscar? You meet him through the teacher. And what is that meeting like? Well, the teacher didn't introduce me directly to, 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 uh, to Danilo, uh, he introduced me to one of Danilo's cronies, you know, one of his underlings. And the underling eventually uh, led me to Danilo. To Danilo. Now, what was the meeting like? What was the meeting like, Danilo? What was that like? Uh, well, basically what they told me is that I would have a, a, a unlimited supply. Uh, his underlings, 
they wasn't as business minded as he was. Uh, a lot of times I would call them with money and they wouldn't want to, uh, to do business. They would say, wait until tomorrow. And I don't know if you know about the drug business, but in the drug business, there is no tomorrow. It's right now. Right. You know, I want, I want my drugs right now, today, this second, this minute. Get it over here. Yeah. Uh, and his, his underlings, they didn't, they didn't look at business like that. Uh, so when I met Danilo and he told me that it would be an unlimited supply uh, any time and all the time, uh, I knew that that was going to increase business. So you go from $125 to, like, moving $2 million a day. A day. Three million sometimes. Three million sometimes. And what, tell me about how that business operates. How do you operate a business? Off the, it's off the books. It's not regulated. How do you go to moving a 2 to $3 million worth of drugs a day? Well, what you do is you build up a network of people um, who are like yourself, who need money, who's down on their luck, who can't get a job, more than likely they can't read, uh, come from a single uh, uh, family background, and, and their family need money. Uh, you find you about 30 or 40 of those guys, and you're in business. But everybody you, you're adding, at some point, you got, you got to be worried that maybe they're going to turn on you. How do you pick these guys? How do you trust these guys? And how do you basically control such a giant business? Well, people don't turn on people that's taking care of them. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they don't turn on people that's looking out for them. I mean, every now and then you might get somebody that's, that's, that, that, that's scurvy and, and crummy, and, and, and they don't care how much you do for them, they're still... Uh, uh, try to take advantage of you, but most people uh, will not turn on somebody that's taking care of them. Uh, what? Where the? Do you have run-ins with the police during this? Do you take care of the police? Do you bribe the police? Are you staying under, undercover so nobody can? Basically, they don't see this happening. They got to be knowing something's going on. Well, I think in the beginning the police didn't believe uh, that it was that much money in South Central LA. Uh, uh, to buy cocaine, and, and cocaine wasn't uh, the drug that they were looking for at that time. They were more focused on uh, uh, marijuana and PCP. Now, is your is the coke coming straight in through San Francisco, through L.A.? I mean, there was rumors that it was coming in through Arkansas, Florida. I know Arkansas was really big because the Clint was governor there, and that guy's a gangster, and he was flying <laughs> a lot of it, the, 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 the cocaine cowboys and all that stuff out of Arkansas. Where was... Blandon, is that Blandon's drugs coming out of? Well, the first uh, uh, the first time we know, we know it was coming out of uh, San Francisco with the frogmen. Uh, I don't know if you remember that arrest. The guys who were arrested, taking them off of ships uh, in frogmen uh, uh, gear, scuba, yeah. scuba diving equipment. Uh, then they were bringing it in on military planes, uh, carrying supplies to Nicaragua. And then uh, sending drugs back in the same planes. So, so it was coming out of San Francisco. Was it the big crack? I always thought the crack epidemic and the cocaine was coming through Arkansas. Is there any? Did you get any of that drugs, or was your stuff all through San Francisco? I don't know. Uh, you know, I didn't really ask them where where it was coming <laughs> from. Uh, I just wanted them to keep bringing it. What was the life? Okay, I'm, I'm gonna get into this information. But what? Because I used to do a lot of coke. And I smoked some crack. 
I smoked crack just a couple times. Actually, just one time. The whole time I smoked crack, I was just like, man, I'm smoking crack. I'm smoking crack. I'm smoking crack. I'm smoking crack. What was it like <laughs> to be the head of this drug empire? Like, what was the lifestyle like? It must have been insane. It was wonderful. <laughs> I'm with you. I romanticize doing blow all the time, man. You know, I'm it's nothing now. like it's nothing like having all the money you need, especially when you come from somebody who grew up with food stamps. Uh, the only time it was money in the house was the first of the month. Uh, around the fifth, around the twelfth to the fifteenth, it was always misery around the house. Around the 28, 29, it was misery around the house because there was nothing to eat. Now, like, the, the women, were there a lot of women involved in this life? Well, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, the power, all that stuff. What was the partying like? Everybody was involved. Everybody <laughs> wanted to be in the cocaine scene. All the entertainers, oh, no. the athletes, uh, everybody was involved. Nobody, nobody was, uh, either you was using or selling. And were you going to some awesome Hollywood parties? Was it like crazy? Were you invited to all the big parties? I mean, is there a separation in terms of Hollywood? I know, you know, it was all Compton and Inglewood and all that. But were you invited to the Hollywood Hill parties and all that stuff? I was invited, but I didn't, uh, I didn't attend. I was uh, more of a private person. Uh, I didn't need to be around stars to, to, to feel important. I, I already was important. Okay, so let's get back into this. You're moving $2 million, $2 million worth of crack and cocaine. What are you doing with this money? Like, where does this, where do you hide this money? It can't fit under the pillows anymore. It can't fit under the bed. How are you cleaning this money? I'm buying houses, apartments, and businesses. And and the government isn't noticing any of this, or because the CIA is involved, nobody's pay, nobody's flagging you. Well, I think at that time, the government didn't want anybody to flag anybody. They wanted it to run smoothly. Uh, the Reagan administration needed the money, and nobody was going to stop it. At what point do you realize that you are getting supplied by the CIA? I didn't know that until I was sitting in prison, uh, facing a life sentence, going to trial, uh, and Gary Webb started giving my lawyer questions to ask my informant. Now, let me ask you something, man. You're faced with life. What is that feeling like right there at that moment when you're like, I may never be free again? What is that feeling like? A sad day. Sad in day. In paradise. How do you cope with that? I mean, I wouldn't be able to cope with that. I mean, like, what are you, what's, what are you doing to, to calm yourself down and to, and to deal with that realization? Well, you, you never really accept it totally. Uh, I, I never totally accepted it. I mean, I had days that, that I would say, you're never getting out of here. Uh, these people are never going to try to let, they try not to never let you out. Uh, but I would never stop thinking about being free. Now, did anyone come to see you when you were in this situation, these people you had partied with? Did anyone come and show you any support? Was anyone there for you when you were kind of in this bad spot? Absolutely not. My mom and, and one of my brothers. That's it? Fuck, man. My friend was just in jail, and I went to go see him. He's like, nobody came to see this guy. 
So let's talk about Gary Webb and the Dark Alliance. Um, how do you meet Gary Webb? One day I called my lawyer uh, from the phone booth that they have in there that they're charging you 50 cents a minute to, uh, to call home on. And he starts to talk to me about this reporter who uh, wants to talk to me. Uh, my lawyer was a skeptical about talking to him. And I had to explain to my lawyer that I was already looking at a life sentence and I was never getting out of prison anyway. So why should I be afraid to talk to anybody? Okay, real quick, I, I jumped something really quick. Let's talk about the bus that puts you into this place. Now, I listened to a couple of interviews you had. This is a complete other setup, which is, uh, you know, which is pretty much entrapment, in my opinion. Can you talk about that, that day in which you got arrested and you were set up for life, basically, at this point? Absolutely, I could talk about it. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> the lousiest thing the government ever did to me. And they do it a lot. <clears throat> yeah, to a lot of people. I read a lot of really interesting cases. Uh, one day I plan on making some movies about some of the cases I, I, I read uh, while I was in prison that they didn't trap people. Well, I just got out of prison. Uh, I wasn't doing anything. I was just working and, and trying to adjust to being a normal uh, normal person. Uh, the day that I got home, Danilo Blandon called me and told me that he had some drugs for me and he needed my help with him. Well, I told him no, but uh, for six months straight, he called me uh, just about every other day telling me that he had 700 uh, kilos of cocaine and he needed my help. Uh, that went on for six months. Six months, he's calling you all the time. You're like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. And then he's like, one more, let's do this. There's a lot of money in it. Yep, asking me, well, why are you asking people to help you? Because uh, I bought this theater before I went to prison. And uh, I paid a million, two for the theater. I put 950000 down on it. I still owe 300000 And I was about to lose the theater. I needed $300,000 bad. So he was telling me why was I going around asking people to uh, to help me with the theater when I could make all the money myself. Jesus Christ. And he's just setting you up. So what happens? What makes you finally give in? You're like, fuck it, let's do this. Well, one day I'm riding down the street and I got one of my little homies with me. Uh, and he overhears me and Danilo's conversation and he tells me to let him do it that he can do the whole transaction, that I don't have to do anything, and he can make it happen. So I set the meeting up between him and Danilo. He brings Danilo, uh, I think it was $300,000, and uh, when he handed him the bag of money, the police come from everywhere. And you were at that meeting? Yeah, he wouldn't do the meeting without me. Oh, yeah, so he's setting you I up. Wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to be at the meeting. But Danilo said the first meeting that he wanted uh, me to be there to make sure that everything was smooth. What kind of guy is, I mean, at this point, like, you don't know Danilo's a double agent. You don't know he's uh, he's an asset. What kind of guy was he? Well, you know, at one time I thought he was uh, somebody that was a friend of mine. You know, somebody that could be trusted. Um, but as you know... Uh, he was none of that. Uh, he probably was a racist. You know, one of the tapes Gary Webb talked about, uh, 
where well, he, he used the N-word numerous times. Uh, the, the judge wouldn't let us get the tape. Uh, so I believe he was just the kind of person that just used you and uh, made you believe that he was a friend only to accomplish his goals. And w- yeah, I mean, was he a good guy? I mean, was he like, what kind of person was he? Was he, well, I thought party he was a good him? guy. I mean, I mean, uh, we did some good business, you know, uh, uh, and not just drugs. You know, we did cars and guns and, you know, a few other things. And, and, and all our deals always went the way they were supposed to go. Um, but when he got busted, you know, that, that changed everything. You know, he felt that his life was, was uh, more important than my life, I guess. What kind of guy was Gary Webb? I mean, the guy pretty much lost his life to fucking tell your story, man. You know? I mean, that's a crazy-ass thing, right? And are we losing him? There we go. Is this his connection or my connection? Holding on. Hold on. He's in a rainstorm right now. It's is he? Yep. This is... There he... Nope. Have we lost him. Have we lost him? Should we try him back? Okay. Mm-hmm. This is crazy, right? Can't believe it, man. How do you trust anyone after that? You know? It's just let you know the government will just do anything. I mean, like, the CIA is the biggest gangsters out there. Should I try him back? To, oh, is he there? He's still there. Are you able to hear us, Mr. Ross? Let me try him again. Let me try him back. Okay, let me try this real quick. This entire interview went down because our fans of the show. Yeah, hitting you guys basically made this happen. And my how's how's my interviewing skills? I'm digging it, man. <laughs> Watch out, Charlie Rose. Watch out, Charlie Rose. So you guys got this on because you know he he requires. Let's do a little bit of a business while we're trying to get him back, sure. if we can. So. All the Reddit followers. There we are. Are you back? We lost you for a second. I hear you. I hear you too. As long as you can hear me, that's all really matters. What ca- <laughs> can you hear? Can you hear us? This is how you know we do the podcast live. Yes. I hear you now. Okay, are perfect. You are you there? Yeah, we are there. We can hear you. Uh, we can hear you. Uh, we're happy with hearing you. If we can't see you, we still take your beautiful voice. Gary Webb, what kind of guy is he? Uh, well, Gary was a courageous guy. I think he was uh, one of those guys who felt that everybody should get uh, their fair shot. And uh, he didn't feel that the government had played fair with me. Uh he didn't like the fact that the government uh, came down in the chain. He thought that they should be going up in the chain. Uh, he didn't like that Danilo Blandon only got eight, uh, 28 months in prison and young black men, excuse me, were getting 20 years for two ounces of crack cocaine. Now because that, w- that was unfair and unjust. Yeah, that's uh, that's basically from the Clinton uh, crime bill of 1994, which made basically like a rock of crack worth like a helicopter full of cocaine. Well, actually, Ronald Reagan did that. Ronald Reagan did that. Okay. okay. Now, Clinton, Clinton went in and got tougher. 
Ronald Reagan begins the war on drugs, which is uh, just a ridiculous thing. Your thoughts on the war on drugs? I think the war on drugs is just like the war on terrorism. It's all government-sponsored. We'll get into a little bit more of that. But your thoughts on the war on drugs? Well, total failure uh, has ruined thousands and thousands of lives. Uh, and some people innocent, too, you know, because what they don't understand is when they take a father away from their kids— for 20 years, you know, when, when I got home, all my kids were grown, and all of them had grown up without their father. So uh, when you take people out of their kid's life for 20 years, uh, it don't just hurt the father. It also hurts the kids and uh, the community as well, because now you don't have uh, a father figure in the community, and that lets the community run rapid. Now, do you think that's done systematically, meaning on purpose, in that they are trying to pull father figures out of the black community in order to destabilize the family? I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, as you know, this government has always uh, been tough on the black man, uh, more so than the black woman. And I don't think that it's changed. Uh, you can see all of the innocent black men who have gotten killed uh, recently. Yep. Uh, who, uh, just because they're black, are presumed violent. Uh, some people, what do they call us? The, uh, the, the super predator? Yes, and that was Clinton's word. What I would Clinton's like to know word. is what, what, what makes you a super predator? You know, is it just because you're black or because you've done something that's super predator? Yeah, I mean, like... Uh, I got arrested even though I have absolutely no violence. Huh? Yeah, I mean, like, if you just look at, like, the amount of uh, black males in jail for drugs, it's unbelievable. And here's my old theory. Like, the war on, the war on drugs is let's get, let's stop you doing drugs because drugs are bad for you, right? So we're going to, we find you with drugs. We'll throw you in jail. But here's the problem. I can always stop being a drug addict, and I've done that in my life. I had a problem with coke, crystal meth, and I've done crack cocaine before, Okay. I stopped right. doing drugs. I'm a drug act, but I don't do drugs anymore. I can never not be a felon anymore. After that, I am always a felon, and I've o and thus crippling my ability to get a job again, to get to vote, to carry a gun, to do all these other things in which I feel has been done on purpose. You're absolutely correct. And and once you do that, you put us in another box because. There's so many jobs that now we no longer qualify for, and the easiest thing for the person to do is go back to selling drugs, which inevitably is going to end him back up in prison. Right, 100%. So now you're now you're uh, now you you don't really have a lot of options. Very poor paying jobs, very very uh, low income jobs. And it's just like everybody wants to be able to take care of their family. Now, if we see with these rich people, they get busted with drugs all the time. They get sent to rehabs. They get sent to that. I mean, now what we're seeing with privatized prisons is that they're basically creating slave labor. That these guys are now, because of free, you know, they did free trade, those countries are either asking for more money to work or they're destabilized. The best way to, to get workers to work for free is to make them go to jail and be locked up for five, ten years, and then they get to work for ten cents a day. Yeah, the statistic is right. You're absolutely now. correct. Uh, 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 the Thirteenth Amendment says that the only way that a person can be enslaved 
inside the United States as if he commits a crime. It's so true. Right now, there are more black people in jail than there ever were in time of slavery. Yeah. And that's something that we never think about, you know? And it, this is just well, systematically... And if you, go, if you go even deeper than that, before slavery, before slavery ended, there was absolutely no blacks in prison. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. one black person was in prison before slavery ended. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So, so what they did is found another way to enslave us, uh, uh, and now they're using it uh, by taking over our minds, making us believe that uh, 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 that crime is cool and that uh, uh, selling drugs is cool. If you listen to the radio, you know some of the some of the guys who they praise uh, are are singing songs about selling cocaine. Yeah, let's get into that. So uh, you believe that crack was uh, designed to stigmatize the black community. Is that your belief? Uh, I, I'm, I wouldn't say that, uh, but that's what happened. Hmm. In the sense that it, in what, in a, it was uh, glorified through hip-hop and gangster rap. Do you think that was done on purpose? Gangster rap was meant to turn, make uh, young youth believe that being a gangbanger is cool. Well, yeah, I believe so. I believe that they took an industry that was uh, 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 basically uh, talking about fight the power uh, 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 to stop the killing and flipped it to kill more, uh, fight more, and sell drugs. Yeah, so we go from uh, Public Enemy and the early, I mean, even though back in the day you had even Kid and Play, which is pretty positive. Um, uh, the Fresh Prince, you know, he's doing a lot of positive public acts, Public Enemy doing all their, you know, fight the power stuff. LL Cool J. LL Cool J talking about uh, all the lovely, the ladies love Cool J. Two obvious. KRS One. Yep. We go to that, to uh, N.W.A., to uh, who else? We got, like, you know, all this gangster rap that just becomes really big. The promotion of uh, gangbanging on all of the mainstream media to uh, it being cool. I mean, even in the NBA, they had to institute a new rule where you had to dress up in a suit because it got so gangster at the press conferences. And you're t you believe that's systematic, which I believe as well. I do, I do, I absolutely do believe that. And you also see, kind I mean, of I mean, when you got guys who, who actually went to college, who were straight A students, who turn around and tell the kids that they're dumb, that they're stupid, that they didn't graduate, that they dropped out of school. I mean, total lies. In order to make the kids dumb themselves down. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, Ice Cube went to private school. You know, nobody talks about that. Ice Cube from NWA wasn't from a hood, wasn't from a bad neighborhood. Actually, he had a, a very uh, affluent family and went, and then he just sold an image. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, let's talk about these new shows that are coming out and your thoughts on that. Uh, FX's Snow, Snowfall, How Crack Began. And the new movie from Tom Cruise, uh, American Made. What are your thoughts on that? Are you at all associated in any way with Snowfall? Would that, would, did they talk to you about it? Because it seems to be your story. I believe that it is my story. I think that it was a ripoff. 
you know, John Singleton, who directed it, he, he read my book. He bought a copy of my book at my documentary screening. Uh, he also read the movie script that, uh, 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 that, that Nick Cassavetti wrote uh, for me. Um, and no, he never did consult with me about uh, uh, working on the piece. Uh, I just recently got some phone calls uh, saying that he wanted to sit down with me uh, and he wanted me to go to the screening. And will you be doing that? Neither one. Neither one's going to happen. I respect that. No, because I feel that um, what he done was rip my story off and sell it. Uh, and one reason is that Hollywood don't want me to be a part of it because they don't want the kids to know the true story. They don't want the kids to know how drugs really work. And they know that I'm not going to cooperate with uh, 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 putting no BS on the screen. You know, when, when I do my movie, I want it to be accurate. Uh, uh, I don't care if it ain't Hollywood, if it ain't uh, what they think is going to put uh, butts in the seats. I want to tell a story that, that our people can learn from. Do you think this show is going to glorify the drug business? I'm pretty sure it is because, you know, you, you take a guy like John Singleton who, who, who really don't know anything about the streets, and what he'll do is he'll read a newspaper and he'll make a movie script from what he read in the newspaper. It's, it's unbelievable, dude. Yeah, and we already, know, we already know how the news did uh, with the crack epidemic, how they took the crack epidemic and twisted it and turned it to make it where uh, they demonized young black men uh, who, who were selling crack. Yeah, when Sam said that we were going to be getting you on the show, I was like, we got to get this on before Snowfall airs so that the truth can get out. Yeah. Because I, I saw the trailers, and it's just, like, flashy, and it's got the cool soundtrack. I'm like, this is bullshit, man. I see what they're trying to do <coughs> yeah, right Yeah, once now. again, we're glorifying. Like, I talk about drug use in my act, but not to glorify it, but more to be like, if people have drug problems, you know, they need to be able to talk about it. I think a lot of people run from their drug problems because they're ashamed to let anybody know they have a drug problem and they and that they might be alone. And I'm like, no, man, this is real. Like, I smoked one time, I smoked crack one time with this guy when, my first day in Hollywood, and I had to fight him because he tried to blow me. And I was just like, get out of here, you know? So I just... <laughs> now, most people don't know when they hear Rick Ross, all they think about is some big fat guy with gorilla tits and what? a big old beard. They yeah. don't know the real Rick Ross. And Did I'd... you? What is your thoughts on uh, Rick Ross, the rapper? Cartoon. Does he? Cartoon did, character. Did he ever hit you up and talk to you about like, hey, I want to use your name? Never, never. Uh, I spoke to him one time when I was in prison. Uh, 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 strictly on my part, I ran him down uh, um, and got him on the phone without him knowing who was on the other end. Uh, he sold me a bunch of lies. Uh, but, you know, I, I sued that guy, took him to court. And we found out in court the guy had credit cards when he was in high school. Uh, uh, the guy's mom and pops come from a, he had two family, two, two uh, uh, parents in his home. Uh, had never been in any trouble. Uh, we asked him uh, uh, when he was taking his deposition, had he ever been arrested? And the guy stuttered for five minutes trying to think of something that he had been arrested for. And then finally he came up with, yeah, I got arrested for a joint one time. Why does Hollywood do that? Why do they always have to just take the fake the funk out of nasty dunk? Why do they always have to take these posers 
and and, and uh, glorify them. Why don't they work with the real people? Well, uh, they feel if they have to work with the real people, they got to tell a real story. And if they tell a real story, then people are going to start changing. You know, a lot of our people get their information from the radio and from TV. They don't, most, most people don't read. They don't like reading. You know, I'm out right now with my book and people would tell me if I had the, uh, uh, the video, they would buy it instantly Yeah, because they don't read. Nobody's reading anymore. So I want to, the re, I, since I just got to let you know this, man, since I started this podcast, uh, this was the interview I've wanted to do from the start when I thought about the show. This is like, I got to, I got to interview Freeway Ricky Ross because I believe that what you went through in in the 80s with the, with the with the crack epidemic okay i believe is happening now with the heroin epidemic and then that the government this is a state sponsored drug epidemic and that the government is behind this cuz as we see right now we see that you know we have us military personnel guarding poppy fields in afghanistan ensuring that the locals don't attack them or burn them down. Have you ever thought about that as you see that the heroin epidemic is just exploding around the country? Well, we know when when the Taliban controlled the poppy fields, uh, none of uh, Afghanistan heroin was making it over to our shores. And and now that we've invaded and take it over, I think 75% of the heroin right now is coming from Afghanistan. If I'm correct, I, I, I don't know. I haven't been keeping up as of late but i know when i was in prison and and was keeping up with it i think those were the numbers i mean i i, I as a black man asked the question is like thoughts on obama under obama the heroin epidemic exploded it, it i mean it, it's just because he's president i think they're all war criminals your thoughts on obama as a president and because we know reagan was behind the crack epidemic what part does obama have in the uh heroin epidemic well, I don't know if Obama's black or not. I mean, he didn't, he didn't make no black moves. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, uh, he left, uh, I mean, he pardoned a few guys, but he left uh, 60 or 70,000 uh, black men that were in prison for crack, uh, who, who everybody in Congress and the Senate all admitted that it was all racially motivated. He didn't uh, take his pen and, and swipe that and say, you know what, since Congress and, and the Senate said it was uh, racially motivated, and I'm black, just like the guys in prison. I'm gonna take this pen and swipe them loose because nobody can do anything anything to me for doing it. Uh, he didn't do that. So when you say he's black, I, I question that. You know, he may have black skin, but uh, I don't know what his insides are made of. Did you think you things were gonna change when Obama became president at all? Uh, I was hoping so. I was hopeful. Uh, 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 but I wasn't really looking forward to him uh, uh, really making any significant changes uh, 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 for, for the inner city. And it's basically, so your opinion is somewhat of my, like mine in that this heroin epidemic is state-sponsored. This is another way for the government to cripple communities. Now it's the white community. And do you feel like there's a different attitude towards the heroin epidemic compared to the crack epidemic? Well, we already know that it's definitely a, a different attitude. And, and you know, it, it, it is mostly uh, young white kids and, and poor young white kids at that. Uh, but the difference is, is that now it's an epidemic and they're treating it as a medical issue. 
and and I totally agree with you that it is state sponsored because everybody knows that uh, the reason these kids are getting hooked on heroin is because first they get hooked on prescription medication the, uh, from doctors who are, are licensed by the state, uh, 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 and they give these kids these opiate-based uh, medicine, and then when they can no longer afford to buy the pills, when the doctor will no longer write the prescription, well, it's easy to go on the street corner and buy a five-dollar uh, uh, bag of heroin. Yeah, and do you find do you like the biggest drug dealers in the world are CVS, Walgreens, all that? You know, is it just ridiculous that they're able to move that kind of product and without any trouble? Yet when you try to do the exact same thing, suddenly it's a crime and you're you're facing life in jail. Absolutely. You know, more people die from uh, prescription drugs than die from all the other illegal drugs put together. That's correct. It's an epidemic right now. Every 14 minutes, someone dies in America from prescription narcotics. This is the highest. It outnumbers uh, traffic fatalities, and this is the first time since 1979, and no one's talking about it. Why isn't anybody? I mean, like, why do you think people are so ignorant and just unself-aware and don't care about this epidemic compared to the illegal drug epidemic? Well, you know, one one of the things that people are so wrapped up in just trying to get by, just trying 100%. to uh, make a living for themselves, that they can't pay attention to what's going on with nobody else until it hits their own family. I think about and, that all the time. Like, I want to save the world. Like, I want to save elephants, but I got rent. You know, I got to pay rent. Yep. I got I to gotta get that taken care of. So, I mean, do you think the war on drugs will ever end? Will there ever be a time when there won't be any war on drugs? Well, the only way we're going to get that is we're going to have to get the people who run this country to rethink the way that they, they, they do business. I mean, I believe that they should deal with drugs the same way that they would be dealing with them if it was their own son or their daughter uh, uh, that was involved, if it was their mother. Or, 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 or their father, uh, you know. Once, once people start to deal with uh, uh, drugs in that fashion, then I think that uh, uh, we can start making some traction. Do you do you ever feel nervous about the fact that you're constantly out there with this book, talking about the CIA, who I think is the most dangerous organization in the world? Putin just talked about how he believes that terrorism, that 95% of the terrorism done in the world is done by the CIA, and I completely agree with that. Do you get worried about uh, your life, uh, your safety, your freedom by, uh, by talking about this stuff? I don't. I don't. I have a job to do. Uh, you know, Gary Webb put his life on the line uh, for, for, for me and, and, and people like me. Uh, and I feel that if he was ready to 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 do that, then I should be uh, ready as well. Do you uh, do you think he was killed by the government? Uh, I, you know I don't know. I don't have all the facts, uh, but I do think that it's kind of odd for somebody to be able to shoot themselves in the head twice. Twice, now, twice in the head. I heard that. I've heard doctors say that it is possible. It is possible. I've heard doctors say that. I don't know if it's possible or not. I mean, in, in my in my small mind, it's impossible. Well, but who, who am I 
to, it's, to it, it's to possible. Is it probable? That's the question. <laughs> you know, I can miss my skull and then want to shoot again. But am I going to do that? I don't know. The reason I ask that is like, and you know, I have a, I, some fans asked, wanted to ask a question. In October 2005, there was an article that you had gotten arrested in Sonoma County. Is that true? And do you think that was a setup? Say that again. I missed it. Okay. So basically I was asked by a listener who's a decade listener that was it true that you were arrested in 2015 in Sonoma County, October 2015, uh, on drug arrest. Is that true? Is that not true? Absolutely true. You were arrested. Now, were you doing something or do you think that was a setup? Uh, I was going to buy a farm to grow marijuana. Awesome. And which I think is totally fine. And why does it come up? So you were arrested for marijuana, not uh, anything hard. Control substance. It says sale of a controlled substance. There was no drugs. I was on the freeway doing 75 miles an hour. Uh, I was in the middle of about 20 cars. So I guess maybe we were uh, doing a deal. Uh, uh, from car to car, you know, they call me freeway, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there was no drugs in the car. There was nobody I was buying drugs from. Uh, I was on my way to buy a piece of property. Uh, and I did tell I did tell the police I was going to buy a farm, uh, and it was going to be to grow marijuana. That's awesome. I think it's great that you pulled out of the, the game of anything dealing with white powder, and now you're going to actually stuff that can help people. You know? No doubt, no doubt, and it's legal in California. So, uh, and that's another—that's for another day. You know, uh, uh, I think in LA there's only two blacks who have license license to uh, 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 to run dispensaries in LA, and I think that's uh, uh, insane. Can I ask you something? There is obviously a black versus white situation going on, but is it? Is a lot of it also rich versus poor, and that, and that they don't they want us to fight over a lot of this stuff? Does does a poor poor black man have more in common with a poor white man than a poor black man with a rich black man, or a rich white man with a poor white man? Well, you know, definitely poor puts you at the bottom of the barrel, no matter what color you are. Uh, but I believe. Uh, a poor white guy would have uh, a better chance at uh, succeeding in business than a poor black man. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would totally agree with that. So uh, tell us more about your book right now, a little bit more. Let's get into your book and where they can find you on your uh, your website and all that stuff. Uh, my book is called Freeway Rick Ross Untold Autobiography. I wrote it when I was in prison. Uh and how long ago was that? How long did you? How long have you been out of prison? I've been out of prison in September. It'll be eight years. Uh, I wrote that book while I was gone. Uh, and what I did is I thought that it would be good for people to have a book that would explain to them how a guy would come from uh, wanting to be a tennis star and wanting to go to college uh, into wanting to be a drug kingpin. And uh, and it's uh, what's been the feedback so far on it? Have you gotten any great feedback? What they love tell? it. They love it. Uh, I'll be honest with you though. Most of the people that's been buying the book has been 
uh, guys on the street who sell drugs. Really? Also, I can't help but say that you got to buy the T-shirt on. I'm going to buy the T-shirt. I'm going to buy the book, and I'm going to buy the T-shirt as soon as this interview's over. I'm going to buy the shirt and the book. The book looks amazing. The shirt looks amazing. Yeah, the T-shirt says, the real Rick Ross is not a rapper. I mean, <laughs> that's what's important to get out there is let people you know. You know who gave me that idea to do that T-shirt is Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. He's my boy. I've toured with Joe. He's a good friend of mine. I've done his show a couple times. Uh, what's, what's Freeway Rick Ross's life like now? Uh, running around the country. Uh... From hotel to hotel, from city to city, uh, selling this book. I'm trying to sell 100,000 copies. How are we doing uh, on that? How close are we getting? We're getting close. Right now, we're around, uh, we're getting close to 30,000 copies. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. That's amazing. Totally, totally independent. I'm going to no buy marketing. the book. That's great. Where are you right now? You're just, you're heading to Michigan now? No, right now I'm in uh, Columbus, Ohio. I'll be here until uh, I'll do a couple uh, couple more days. I mean, a couple more uh, events here tomorrow, and tonight and tomorrow. And then I'll be going to Cincinnati. And then I'll be going to Michigan. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Where do you see Freeway Rick Ross in five years or in ten years? Uh, well, I, I'm, one of my goals is to be a philanthropist uh, uh, and an educator. I think that once people learn to uh, become critical thinkers, uh, we'll be much better off as, as a society. Yeah. When are we going to start? I always say question everything. It's free. Question everything. Uh, Why not? Uh, Why not? I agree with that totally. Well, uh, honestly, man, I'm so thankful you came on our show. We're such a huge fan of yours. Uh, down the line, when you're in Los Angeles, we'd love to have you in studio talking about your book, talking about everything else, and just get your thoughts on everything. Uh, I'm really appreciative. Your story's amazing. I think everybody should go out and buy the book right now. It's Freeway Rick Ross, the untold autobiography. You can buy it on FreewayRickyRoss.com. Hey, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and I appreciate being on, and... Uh... Hopefully uh, we get together when I get back in L.A. in a couple weeks and uh, we'll do the show over again. And uh, hopefully everybody go on and check out the book. It's a great book. All right, man. You, my friend, R.G., thank you so much. Safe travels, man. Take care of yourself and uh, we'll see you when you're in Los Angeles. All right. Peace. Take care, man. That was awesome. That was great. Thanks, man. That was great. You guys made this happen. I just want you to know that it was, was one of the things that Rick. That basically Sam was like, I gotta get free Rick Ross on. I'm like, yeah. That interview happened. That interview happened because of the people who listen to the show. Yeah. You know? And it was an amazing I, I thoroughly I I can't tell you how fucking upset I am of that as our government is behind all this drug epidemic. All these people who are losing loved ones is because the government is flowing drugs into the country. I mean, dude, real quick, I want to show something real quick, real quick. You could Google right now. Go Google. Go Google U.S. military. Military, okay, protecting poppy fields. Look at it. It's the first thing that comes up. Oh, yeah. Look at this, dude. Look at this shit. 
I know about this Look first at this, hand. dude. So Look at this. I Look met this. a soldier that actually was one of these guys you see in these photos. Um, I, once again, I was a cable guy back in the day, and so I was always do guys. Yeah. I mean, and could you I was like, what did you do over there? And he's like, I guarded a field. And I was like, what do you mean a field? He's like, a poppy field. Look he's at like, this, man. Yeah. Uh, the heroin trade was at an all-time low when the Taliban was in charge. Not saying the Taliban's freaking good guys at all, but they don't. They ain't down with drugs. And in order to make pharmaceutical drugs, oxycodone, uh, hydrocodone, all that stuff that gets you hooked, you need to have the actual version of it to synthesize it. Yes. And so as soon as we went into Afghanistan, that was the num- that was the number two thing. The first one was that we actually had mining operations in to to do lithium ion. Which is makes your batteries, your cell yes, phone. That's a huge thing in Afghanistan. They mm-hmm. found a giant deposit of lithium over there. We're not trying to liberate or help a place or try to put it back into order. We're basically we only go into countries that are sitting on top of resources. We All want. wars are business wars. There hasn't been an actual like liberation war <clears throat> since the se- 1776. Now. I mean, we can go all the way back to like our own Revolutionary War, our 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 own like uh, our own Civil War, wasn't about slavery. It wasn't about it was about the reserve, the Federal Reserve, you and know, the resources too. Yeah, the North didn't have any crops besides tobacco. The South had everything, and they're like, now nah, we're tired. So yeah, definitely slavery was involved, but it always goes back to resources. 100,000 people died of machete attacks in Rwanda. Most people don't know about Rwanda because Rwanda doesn't sit on top of oil, precious minerals, doesn't have drugs that we need to like synthesize. And we destabilized that area too. I guarantee you we're behind all the destabilization. Mm-hmm. The CIA is the most dangerous organization in the world. It is. And I want to say after these uh, these interviews... I love my life. I never want to kill myself. I will never kill myself. If I ever end up dead, sometimes I walk at night by myself. I'm like, this is how you die. This is how they take you out. Seth Rich style. Yep. Don't do that. Yeah. I don't. I, I never want to die. Aaron, thoughts? This is my favorite part. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, obviously. And if our government did all this shit, I mean, it's, it's awful. It's reprehensible. Like, do you uh, or, believe or, that maybe or, or, or it is part of our government? Yeah. Well, I'm I, willing to believe that that you know that we brought it in to fund other shit because obviously other shit was going down in the eighties. Iron Contra affair. Contra. Yeah, for sure. There's you gotta understand something. The 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 network of our military is so expensive. It's a, even the amount of money we spend on it can't possibly fund. When we are in 135 other countries, we are bombing right now, dude, eight countries. We are funding ISIS, who is now in the Philippines and Iran. We Do you know that now Iran is now bombing in Syria? It has officially become, it, is, it was already uh, World War III. It is now officially World War III. Yeah, how many countries does it need to be? In inter- we're into a world war. I, I just like now. Did you hear about the stuff about uh, about uh, um, who was on, what was his name? Oliver Stone. How he was on this late late show on CBS with Stephen Colbert. No. And how that all went bad? Because they asked him about about Russia influencing the election. And he brought up Israel. Now here's the thing: when you bring up any country, any organization within any organization, there are actually good people. 
definitely. Good Within cops. the CIA, it's, it, there's a people who actually are trying to save the world. But there is the deep state within them that are, are doing some evil shit. Now, there are several different operations going within the CIA that don't even know the other one's operating. There are actually probably CIA operations that are going against each other. The left hand doesn't know what the right's doing. Yeah. Thoughts, Aaron? Remember when uh, Keanu Reeves broke into that house and, and there was a DEA guy in it? Man, yep. FBI, DEA, DEA, don't talk. Yeah, they don't. And they, they like, well, there was a famous thing where the uh, FBI was going into the uh, NSA and there was a shootout that nobody talked about. It's all happening. It's all happening right here, right now. These are the type of topics when we talk about like real life tinfoil hat situations that deal with anything CIA, FBI, NSA. It's the type of stuff that when I leave here, I'm always telling Sam where I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. So that if I don't get there, yeah. then he'll know. Yeah. Like, I stopped along the way and then yeah, yeah, get yeah. a blowjob from the train crazy, and got right? murdered and down in South Central. It's no. crazy. Aaron. I just record the shows. Uh, you know, the views and ex- uh, thoughts expressed on the show. Are, are that of uh, Sam Tripoli? Only, yes, only Sam Tripoli. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, good, to, good to know you got my back. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm with you. Guys, this interview happened because of you guys. You guys tweeted him and tweeted him and tweeted him, and he decided to do it. So with that, I'm very thankful. Now, now Ryan, you were talking about an iTunes rating thing you wanted to talk about. Let's, yeah, we let's, got a challenge to all the listeners that subscribe via iTunes. Subscribe. Don't just download from iTunes. And uh, we're trying to get 1,000 five-star iTunes reviews sometime in the near future. I know it's going to take a little bit, but that's what we're putting out to you guys. Give us five stars and talk all the trash that you want to. Because we love it. You know, we need it. We do this because you guys are out there listening. Let's read a couple of the, uh, the, the reviews. Oh, that there was a we really funny one, the last one I read. We've gotten some reviews, most recent. Hold on, let's do most recent. Here we go. Let's read them. Here, you want to read some of them? Uh, go for it. Yeah, read, read it. I was never a big fan of oh, Sam's podcast. First of all, it's. Uh, Jacovincini666, five-star review, go on. Yeah, I was never a big fan of Sam's podcast, dot, (laughs) dot, dot, until this one. He does an amazing job with this show. It has been my top ten podcast of all time. Great interviews and great guests. Sam seems to have a passion for this and does his homework. Yeah. If you're never a fan of the live shows or the sports podcast, definitely give this Armo a second chance. My only complaint is that it ends. Thank you, dude. And then we also have Melina Lena. Is that it? June 15th. And she gave us five stars. So great. Melanie Leanne. Melanie Leanne. And then the man with the bread. Five star review. Great podcast by Sam. Always keeps things interesting with his point of view and great topics. So if you guys give us some reviews, we're going to read them at the end of the podcast and get into that. Now, guys. We want to get up to 1,000 reviews. If you listen, if you love, please go on iTunes, rate and reviews. I know some of you guys don't have the, um, don't, aren't on uh, Macs or on iPhones, so you can't. But if you are, please go on, rate yeah. and review, tell your friends. And check out the Reddit pages. We got Tinfoil Hat Show, and there's another one called Tinfoil Hat Pod. And this is where we get the ideas for the podcast. It's, this is all about you guys getting back to us. And the other one that I'm now hoping that will happen, I'm putting it out there in the universe. Tweet at Dr. Stephen Greer, G-R-E-E-R. 
He is one of uh, on Steven my top with a PH or a V. With a V. T. Okay. Yep, you got it. And so, if you guys are Mad Hatters are out there, tweet at him. Tell him to do the podcast. Tell him we're really interested in promoting his new film that just went to iTunes and Vimo. It's called Unacknowledged. It's all about disclosure of the UFOs theory that's going all across the world. So get it out there, man. This is going to happen. And we got a lot of good guests coming up. Uh, yeah, we got some great shit going on. Also, go to the Twitter feed. It is. Hold on real quick. And Mad Hatter 39ers. Mad Hat. Hold on. Let's we got see. logged out. Uh, Sam, I think the CIA logged Sam out of the original tinfoil. Yeah, they pod. got to me. But guess what? Not anymore. Yeah. So here it is, dude. Check it out. Uh, it is. This is the podcast feed. All right. It's Mad Hatter 39ers. Follow it. Love us. I love that meme. I'm going to leave it up there. The moment you realize that your tinfoil hat wearing friend was right about everything. This has been a great podcast. It took us a little while to get get uh, Rick Ross on, but we got him. Aaron, any thoughts? Uh, let's keep doing it. Wake up, Everyone. Aaron. Yeah. Drink for the mom. What's that? The end. What's that? Yeah. And so basically, if you're going to go out and see Sam's live shows, come up to him. Tell him you're a tinfoil hatter. Oh, I mean, guys, I hope it. people, apologies, man. Some of you guys came and saw my shows. Uh, the guy in St. Louis, I remember you, and the guy with glasses with his girlfriend that came, and the, gr the girl that came. You guys came on weird shows. I know you. I remember you. If you guys, where are we here? Come on. Here we go. If you guys come to my other shows, I promise you. I will uh, take care of you guys. You guys caught me on weird ones. No, this is the old one? Have to be imposed. Yeah, which one is this? The one with the face. So, yeah. Oh, that's the closer? Yeah. So let's do this one. Here we go. Guys, I'm a huge fan of you guys. I appreciate all the support from the tinfoil hat people. And we will see you. Oh, the show in terms of live studio will be off. For two weeks, I will not be here because I'm going to see my mom. I'm going to be at the Syracuse Funny Bone in two, uh, next week. So coming out, me, I'm at Skank Fest this week. But I'm going to do an interview with my friend Rich Williams, a comic in upstate, in upstate New York. But uh, Ryan and I will be off for two weeks. And we'll, uh, when we get back, we're going to try to load up on a really good one. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We love you very much. Thank you, you Mad Hatters, for making this show possible. Till next time, we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye.